Well, there is a handout. Did everybody get a handout? If you didn't get a handout, put your hand up and seek to get you one. I'd give you mine, but I need it. <laughs> All right, so there's a couple, Terry. Um, I want to, uh, again, also thank you for all for coming this evening and for attending this conference. I trust that it will be something which will be profitable for each and every one of us as we consider it. If it's a subject you're familiar with, that it'll be uh, refreshing and, and strengthening in your perspectives. If it's something that you, that you haven't heard before, then that it'll be informative. If it's something that you're uh, against, that you'll at least be challenged to consider uh, the, the, the truths of God's word. It really is a joy uh, to have the privilege of talking about this. Any of you who, who know me know that I love uh, the Lord's Day, and I love talking about the Lord's Day, uh, the things that I've learned. I did not learn them growing up. I learned them uh, coming here and studying God's Word and being challenged and convicted, and, and uh, perspectives changed. So I trust that you also will find this profitable. Let me ask a quick question, because it may affect the way that I address certain topics. How many of you are going to be here uh, tomorrow? All right, how many of you will be here on the Lord's Day? All right, good. All right, so just to, to know, there may be some things. So we do have a question and answer session. If I don't get to your particular uh, topic, you say, well, he didn't address this, and I've got this question, then, then please write it down, and we'll seek to get to that in the question and answer. We have Pastor Smith back from Pakistan, and he can answer those for you. <laughs> Well, to begin with, uh, I think every one of us uh, knows what it is to feel the pressure of time. There just seems to never be enough time for anything. Time, uh, like an ever-rolling stream, as the hymn goes, carries, carries all its sons away. It, it's an inexorable. It just, it just presses on and on and on. And oftentimes feels like it's a it's a the gerbil cage that we're running in and we're running and we're running and we're running and we're just not getting uh, anywhere and there's just never enough time to get everything done and there's certainly not enough time to just sit and relax sit and meditate sit and think uh, about things uh, and so time is a very important re non-renewable resource it's probably the most non-renewable resource we have because it is instantaneously gone, and it is forever gone. So time is a very important part of being human. God is not unaware of that. God is the creator of time. Uh, from the book of Genesis, he, he created time, he put it in motion, he orders it all. And so he's very much aware that he's put us in that uh, frame of uh, thinking. And so hopefully we'll be able to get some some guidance from God's word as to how then to use our time effectively. Certainly, even the, the apostle says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of or redeeming your time because the days are evil. Well, our, our focus this, this, in this conference is on the Lord's day, that one day in seven where we're turning uh, our minds to something else. Now, there's many different ways. One of my biggest problems is just knowing how to organize this particular material, because usually when I talk to people about it, I find out where they're sitting and what they're wrestling with, and we start from there, and, we, and I ramble through the scriptures of the different points and try to get as much of, as possible to address the specific concerns. But to come with a, an ordered approach, and it's kind of like you, you just need it all at once, 
you know, it's, you can't start in six different places. So, you know, I, I thought about um, uh, Julie Andrews' uh, direction, you know, start at the beginning. And then I said, no, that's not going to quite work in the order of things. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with what I'm going to call the elephant in the room. Uh, we're going to start with the obviously relevant passages. And you have there, if you have your notes, the obviously relevant passages. If we're going to talk about a Sabbath, if we're going to talk about the Lord's Day, then, we, then we're going to come to two passages in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, they basically uh, have the same information in them with some slight differences, so I am going to read them both. So if you uh, have your copy of God's Word and would turn to Exodus chapter 20, uh, we'll begin with verses 8 through 11 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So keeping your finger there in Exodus 20, you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we have a second repeating uh, of this law, but some slight changes. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, we read, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servants and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So there's the, the two most obviously relevant passages when it comes to addressing the matter of the Sabbath. There's many more passages uh, that we'll be addressing, and I may just give you a sheet tomorrow of just all the major texts uh, so that you can look them up and follow up later, but we'll see if I have time to get around to putting that together. As you see there in your notes, uh, very a simple outline with, with a good bit of detail under each of these points, the essence of the command and what stands behind the command. The essence of the command and what stands behind the command. And we're just going to take some time to look at some words and look at the meaning of this text to try to grasp what it, what it says. And one of the things that I want to come away from is I want you to understand that the old, in the Old Covenant, the people who had the Sabbath did not have a burdensome law laid upon them but they had a delightful privilege given to them. And sometimes we think, well, the old covenant, well, that was full of all those burdens. And now we come to the new covenant, we don't want any of those burdens. You know, we're to be free. We're set free by Christ. And while we're set free by Christ, I want you to understand that these people weren't moaning and groaning uh, just because there was law. They may have moaned and groaned because they didn't like the law, but the law itself was actually given to them in a, in a, in a very blessed way to order and direct their lives. 
So let's look at some of these laws, and we'll begin, we're looking particularly at, at number four in the Ten Commandments. So first of all, the essence of the command. Uh, it's very clear, it's very simple. In, in Exodus chapter 20, the word is uh, remember, remember the, the Sabbath day. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's observe the Sabbath day. Now, to remember is, is, a, is a mental activity, to call to mind, to, to think on something, and to observe is a word which speaks of, of watching and keeping in view and preserving something. They're very similar words with similar meanings. To remember something, but, though, is much more than a mental activity. In, in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 22, we, we read that God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She was burdened by the fact she didn't have a child and so she cried out and God remembered her. And he didn't just say, oh, I had forgotten about Rachel over there. He remembered her means that he, he ministered to her. He saw her need and ministered to her. In Exodus 13, in verse 3, they are to remember the Passover by specific activities. It didn't just mean watch it go by on the calendar. It meant that there were certain things that had to be done on that particular time every single year. And in the, particularly at Exodus 13, while they're still there in Egypt. In Exodus 12, uh, it, the, the Sabbath is to be remembered in this, the, excuse me, the Passover is to be remembered in this way because it is a memorial. It is a, something that is to be memorialized, to cap, be kept and remembered throughout time. Now, uh, we also see this with regard to the word observe. To observe is more than just visual activity. Actually, the word is used to describe what Adam was supposed to do in the garden. He was supposed to work and observe. And we, we translate, most of our Bibles translate that, tend the garden. But they were to, he was to observe the garden, see what's going on, what's there, and he's to, he's to work it and to keep it going. Genesis 3, verse 24. The angel was to observe the way to the garden. That is, wasn't supposed to let anybody in. It wasn't just a matter of watching, but it was protecting the entrance to the garden. Nobody could go back into the garden. In Exodus 12, they were to observe the Passover, just like we saw they were to remember the Passover. So these are synonyms. So these words mean not just to observe, not just to see, not just to, to listen or remember something mentally. There, there's much more to it. You could use a, an English word, commemorate, right? We could use that word. We are to commemorate these things. Now, just, to, just think of this, okay, the next time your anniversary comes around and you missed it, uh, tell your wife that you observed it. I saw, I saw the calendar go by. I did, you know. Uh, I remembered it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remembered that there was on the calendar and, yep. And she'd say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, that's not the remembering that I want. That's not the observing I want. I want to commemorate. We commemorate. Uh, we observe the 4th of July. We observe September 11th. What do we mean by that? It means we take notice of that day and we do certain things to bring honor to that particular day, to recognize that day. It may be a picnic. It might be that we have some special gathering, but we observe it. And so these commands, when they come to us, whether it's Hebrew or English, whatever you're looking at, are words which tell us there's something more than just seeing, something more than just a mental activity, but there is a commemorating that is supposed to take place. Both of these words speak of this particular duty and make it clear that this particular duty of the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, requires special care. It has to be observed. It has to be remembered. 
The word remember sometimes is important as well because it may indicate that there's actually something that has been forgotten. Maybe it's because they, it was chosen because the Lord's Day or the Sabbath day can be easily passed by. And, oh, I just got, I got over, it got overrun. It got pushed aside. It got ignored. This was the problem in Amos's day. In Amos chapter 8 and verse 5, Amos 8 and verse 5, we read this. The people were saying, when will this new moon be over? This Sabbath, this special Sabbath, and granted it's not the weekly Sabbath, but it was a Sabbath day. When will this be over so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, here's the seven-day Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with dishonest scales. Now, they wanted to do dishonest things, but the fact of the matter was they couldn't wait for this day to get passed so that they could get on with things. It was too easily passed over. Same thing happened in Nehemiah's day when the men wanted to come and sell uh, their wares on the Sabbath day. And they were, they were told, no, you can't do this. And when they came back again, he says, you do this again, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some, some pretty hefty uh, uh, punishment to you. So he locked the gates and, and kept them out. Remember, observe means it takes time, it takes effort, it's easily forgotten, it's easily ignored. Now, what is to be remembered and observed? Again, you have your text right there in front of you. Uh, remember the Sabbath day, uh, a day of the Sabbath, literally. Now, Sabbath means rest. The Hebrew word Shabbat, I don't have to use this so much in, in, uh, in the New York City area because we have so many uh, the, the Jewish people around us. But little, little transliteration, that is letter for letter, Shabbat or Sabbath, and it means rest. It doesn't mean seven. It's a different Hebrew word that means seven. Shabbat would be the Hebrew word for seven. Shabbat is the Hebrew word for rest. And the command is very simple. This is what we're to remember. To remember there's a day that's supposed to be marked by rest. And the command goes further. It gives a little more detail. God is very helpful in the way that he gives his commands. And he gives us these commands and says, it's supposed to be one day every seven days. One of every seven. Six days of work, one day of rest. That's the way the command is written. Six days you shall work, and one day you shall rest. It is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. There's also something here that happens to help us with the extent of the commemoration. It is to be a day. Not a month, not a week, not a morning, not an evening, a day. We all know what a day is, but somehow it always very easily says, well, you know what? This particular day is going to be shorter than all the rest because I'm going to take that day. But it's a day. It's 24 hours. Now, I think in our particular, in our culture, I think it's wisest not to try to use a Jewish a reckoning of the days, those, that 24-hour period that began with sunset on the night before and ran to sunset. We don't live that way. We don't, we don't mark our calendars that way. It's, it's, it's from midnight to midnight. And so the best way to, to mark it is one whole day from midnight to midnight. That's what the Sabbath rest is supposed to be. One day out of seven, 24-hour period. And what is then in this, remembered, it's a rest. It's a rest. Again, look at verses 9 and 10 of, of Exodus 20, or you can look at Deuteronomy. They're the same words. But 9 and, 9 and 10, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, or your cattle or your sojourner, 
who is in within your gates. Now, let me just stop and say something. I just used the, the word Yahweh and realize <clears throat> you're looking at your Bible. And I read earlier, Lord, so that L-O-R-D, all caps, lowercase, is used to, to, rec to for the Hebrew word that's meant for the name of God, which is uh, Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H or J-H-W-H, depending on how you want to transliterate it. Um, I believe it's a name that should be used. I'm using a Bible that has translated into Yahweh. And so sometimes I'll use Yahweh. Sometimes I'll use Jehovah because that was the old way of doing it. And oftentimes I'll just use the word Lord because it's there in your text in front of me. But I've kind of trained myself to say Yahweh. So if, if that confuses you, I apologize. I want to tell you up front, that's what I'm going to be doing, primarily using the word Yahweh. So the rest uh, is a cessation from work. Now, this is not talking about stop doing sinful things, because that's what we're supposed to do every day. Right? That's not something we should be special for just one day. So it's not just saying stop doing those things which are sinful and rest from them, but it's talking about resting from labor and from work. Two different Hebrew words, two different categories, but they're basically covering anything you want to describe as work. The word labor is a word which is related to the word servant. It's used of Adam as a gardener in Genesis 2. It's used of the slaves in Egypt in Exodus 1. It's actually what uh, Pharaoh was afraid of, that his, uh, his people would cease working, his slaves would cease slaving, and he would therefore not be able to continue his activities of building in his country. So it's this word, it's matter of labor, hard work. And then the word work is just the word business. It's one of the most general terms. Several of the commentaries and the books talking about this mention this. It has to do with dealing with uh, taking care of cattle. Um, it's uh, Joseph uh, going about doing housework. Yes, it can be used for housework. In Exodus 31, it's used to describe the building of the tabernacle, whether it's engraving, weaving, designing. It's used for plowing. It's used for harvesting. It's used for all kinds of different activities that mark the normal activities of a weekly workday. Whether that's in a home and it's laundry and uh, uh, housekeeping, or whether it's in a workplace where you're sitting at uh, a desk, or whether it's out slinging you know, mud. Uh, my dad was a, a mud dauber, uh, that is, he was a, a drywaller. Or whether it's uh, you know something so whether it's manual labor whether it's mental labor whether whatever it might be it all falls under the category of work it's the kinds of things we do to take up our times throughout the week and that's the point very general terms you shall you shall not work and so uh, in summary then what we have here is that six days of labor are given to us now I could make a whole lot of, a whole lot made out of this that the command actually says six days you're supposed to work. And I could go after that, but that's not my point. Part of why we need the rest is because we have six days of work. And we thank God he gave us one day of rest and six days to do our work. This is a gracious concession and an exhortation that out of these six days we work and one day we rest. That is, we cease from our labors. We cease from doing those tasks those normal tasks that fill up the rest of the week. Now you can imagine, I think, uh, if you would, just kind of try to put yourself back in 
the Israelites' shoes, right? They're at Mount Sinai. They've just come out of, uh, just a few months before, have just come out of, of Egypt, right? And they've walked up to, the, to, to, the, to Mount Sinai, and then they hear this command. For 400 years, they have been people in Egypt. Much of that, they have been slaves, toiling without rest, and toward the end of their time, toiling very hard under the taskmasters. And it got worse and it got worse and it worse before it got any better. And then to hear, you're going to get a day of rest every week. Now, maybe you've got a boss who's managing your time for you. And he's done a great job of doing that because he's actually given you a device that you can take home. Or he's got your number so he can get you at home. And it's 24-7. You're on, you're on his clock. God says, no, no, you're not on his clock. You're on my clock. And my clock is six days of work and one day of rest. Does that sound like a burden? I don't think that sounds like a burden to me. That sounds like a blessed repast. That sounds like a blessed break. And that's what we have here. These slaves were told... You have one day in seven, you can rest. But then we're told something else about this. Again, we're just looking at the essence of the command. We've looked at remembered and what is to be remembered. It's a, it's a Sabbath rest, one day in seven, ceasing from our normal labors that we do on six days of the week. And then one day we have a set aside for this rest. That's what the command is talking about. But then it also says the extent of one's responsibility. For it goes on to say, that neither shall your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, and even your animals are supposed to be given a rest. In other words, it's the responsibility that the whole household engages in this. All of the children are to engage in this, the sons and the daughters. And these subordinates, the slaves, or employees, we would say, if you had them in your house, are to take a rest. Even your animals are supposed to get something of a rest. And even the foreigner. Now, very interesting word, this word sojourner. It's not just a guest. It could be a guest. It's somebody who's just staying in your house. But it's a foreigner. It's used for people who aren't even part of the covenant community. So even people who aren't part of the covenant community under your roof and your responsibility, there's a, there's a measure of responsibility to see that they too get that rest. The entire sphere of your responsibility. And one of my burdens in these particular messages is for fathers. I want to get your consciences that hopefully each one of you will be able to say, I need to make sure I'm getting that rest. But you also need to make sure your family is getting that rest. It's your responsibility in your home to see that that happens. And so we need to, I want to get to your conscience that you'll take that to part. And, and, and it's found right here in these words, either your son or your daughter. And it's interesting, the you here is you singular. It's a masculine singular. So there's a sense which he almost seems to be saying, you dads, you men, this is what you're supposed to be thinking about. So that's the, the, what is to be remembered and to be observed. But then what's the goal of the remembering, observing? What is the goal in all this? Notice what it says. Again, you can look at Deuteronomy or Exodus, and it says, you shall not, excuse me, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
to keep it holy, to maintain its holiness, to preserve its holiness. The word holy is not a difficult word. It just means to set apart. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it, it isn't holy because we make it holy. It's holy because God made it holy, and God wants us to keep it holy. This is the opposite of profaning something. To profane something is to treat it as common. To make something holy is to set it apart for special purpose. And so this is to be kept holy, set apart for special purpose unto the Lord. To profane it would be to say, I'm going to treat it as every other day. So if every day is exactly the same, then the Sabbath is profaned. I want you to stick those words in your, in your ears because there's a passage we may or may not get to in the book of Romans that talks about every day the same. And we have to be careful because God says this day is not the same. It is different. It's meant to be different and it's meant to be kept different. This is a day which is not supposed to be like every other day. And it's a time set apart. Set apart from normal use to special use. And in particular, set apart to the Lord because it's the Lord's time. Listen to these verses. You can turn with them to them if you want. First of all, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 3. Leviticus 19 and verse 3. We're here in the holiness code here in the book of Leviticus, the section that addresses uh, living holy before a holy God. And Leviticus 19 and verse 3 says, Everyone shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh your God. Now notice the pronoun, my Sabbaths. God says, my Sabbaths. You keep my Sabbaths. Look over at verse 30. You shall keep my Sabbaths, and revere or fear my sanctuary, I am Yahweh. And we could go as well to Isaiah 56 and verse 4, For thus says Yahweh to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, as it is God's covenant that he makes with his people. It is his Sabbaths. And we could go to several different places as well. My Sabbaths. Exodus 31, 13 is the last passage, and I would like you to look at that one with me. Exodus 31, 13. Because there's some more things uh, that, are, that are spoken here which are, are helpful to us and lead us into this next point. It's a time set apart to the Lord because it's the Lord's time. There's a big push among many, and this is uh, both in churches, believers, and unbelievers, those that go to church and those who don't, to, to say that Sunday is family day. Well, there's nothing wrong with having some time with family. But it's not family day. It's not the family's day. I had one man tell me many, many years ago, he said, well, you know what? I, I can't be at all the services on, at church on Sunday because that's my only day I have. Now, see, so you've got it backwards. You've got six other days. This is God's day. And that's what this, this is all about. He says in Exodus 31, 13, 
But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. I have set you apart. How do you know that I have set you apart? Well, in part, because you keep my Sabbaths. And it's a, it's a reminder that you're my people. You are set apart. You are to be holy as I am holy. And I've given you a day that's supposed to be holy, set apart unto me, so that you can manifest that you are my people. And notice that it's, it's, it says here that you may know that I am Yahweh who, makes you who, who sanctifies you or makes you holy. The Sabbath days were given that they might know the Lord, that they might know Yahweh. There is mental labor that ought to go into the Sabbaths, the rests. And it was this mental labor of concentrating on some great realities. We're going to see what those realities are in, uh, later, and that is in creation and redemption. But here it's, I want you to concentrate on, I want you to know the fact that you're my people. Because you're gathered in my presence on my day, you are my people. And it's a reminder that you're set apart unto me. In Exodus, in, excuse me, in Ezekiel 20, he says, I gave them my Sabbaths. Well, that's an interesting way of describing it. And he says that they may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. The, the Sabbath was a gift to the people of God from Yahweh. These were not theirs. They were gifts imparted to them. The goal of remembering is to set aside these days to God for our benefit that we might know that we are his chosen people, be sanctified in his presence. And it requires, as I said, a ceasing of labor. But that doesn't mean we just sleep all day. Right? It's not, it's not a complete rest from any and all labor. It is set apart for worship. It is set apart as a day to meet with God, to honor God. We'll see that more as we, as we make our way through. And as I said, all these things keep piling up. And I keep saying, we'll see that later. We'll see that later. Because I've got to do it in some sort of order. But set apart for worship. In, in the Old Testament, uh, if, you're, if you've read through the book of Leviticus and Numbers, and such, you, you realize that there's a lot of activity on the Sabbath days. Matter of fact, there's a lot of activity in the tabernacle and temple every day. And on the Sabbath day, it's actually doubled. The, the morning and evening sacrifices are doubled. Uh, the bread on the, the show table, the show bread on the table has to be changed. The guard is changed for the tabernacle or for the temple. Even holy wars were carried on on the Sabbath day at times under Joash. Or remember when, remember when um, the people of God walked around Jericho? How many days did they walk around Jericho? One of those had to be a Sabbath. And it may have been the Sabbath where they blew the horn if it was the last one, or it may have been the Sabbath that they started. But the fact of the matter was they actually marched around for the defeat of Jericho on the Sabbath day. 
but it's primarily a labor of corporate worship. Leviticus 23, verse 3, talks about a holy convocation. That is a calling together of God's people for worship purposes. Leviticus 23, 3. It's a gathering together of God's people to worship God. And so clearly, one of the things that should mark the Sabbath is a gathering together of God's people to worship God to draw near to him as a company of God's people, giving ourselves to public and private exercises of God's worship. Hearing the word of God read and explained, and I'm not going to say that Nehemiah 8, 8 was necessarily, Nehemiah 8 was necessarily done on the Sabbath day, but certainly on Nehemiah 8, where they're opening up the scriptures and reading them to the people after calling them together, there's a holy convocation. And part of that is the reading of the scriptures and the explaining of those scriptures to those who were gathered there who had understanding. Psalm 118 and Psalm 92 are two psalms that deal with this matter of uh, uh, the Sabbath day. A day set apart, especially Psalm 92, is a song for the Sabbath. So praising God is part of what should be taking place. Be taking place on the Sabbath. Prayer and fellowship is another thing that should take place on the Sabbath if we're gathered together. True fellowship. I'm not just talking about just the friendly conversation. And I'm, I'm, I'll get to all the practical things. You'll have to wait till Sunday evening, really, till I get a lot of those practical things, but I'll sneak them in here now and again. There's nothing wrong with having a good laugh with the brethren once in a while. Right? That's part of our humanity and interacting with one another, connecting with one another. But there's something I think we need to take into account, and that is how we use our words on the Sabbath. That'll come tomorrow. But certainly we should cease from our labor of work, set aside all these other things, and when we're fellowshipping, it's with the purpose of speaking to one another. Those who feared the Lord spoke often to one another, it says in Malachi. Spoke often to one another about what? What it was like to, to, to follow after God provoking one another unto love and good deeds, strengthening one another's hands, the hands that are hanging down, the feet that are weak, building one another up and, and, and helping one another in our walk with, with God. So this day is to be kept from being treated like any other day. It is to be set apart for the special use, especially of worshiping God. And specifically, it's to set apart to be done whatever is done in the very, as it were, in the very presence of God, under the eye of God much like every other day, but in an intensified way. There's the essence of the command. Now what stands behind the command? Notice with me Exodus 20 and verse 11. Exodus 20 and verse 11. For in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Very clear then in this commandment given on Mount Sinai, as the people of God have come out to be formed into a nation in covenant with God there at Mount Sinai, it's very clear that this command that is given at that point in time is not the first time this command has been given. Matter of fact, if you just look back, if you were to look back, we won't do that. If you look back into chapter 16, you would see that they already knew what a Sabbath was because they were supposed to take a Sabbath break when they're collecting manna. And that a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath day was judged for doing something that was contrary to the Sabbath day. 
So this is not the first time the Sabbath has actually come, up, come upon us. And I'll, I'll just tell you a little story about a young man who came to New Jersey from the far west and had uh, very little knowledge in these things. And when he came out here, he, he wanted to become a member of Trinity Baptist Church. And they said, well, here's what we believe. And, and, I, and I, there, I gave it away. It was me. Well, you knew that. I said, I said to them, I said, well, we, I, I don't believe the Sabbath is something that binds my conscience, but I'll study it. And when I find out, because I thought it was, you know, here's the, here it is in Moses, right? And I said, well, I'll study it. And I sat down and I opened up, I turned on this tape. This man had, was preaching through the, on, the, on the Lord's Day. And, and he said, open up your Bibles. And I sat down, opened up to Exodus 20 and cross leg in my living room and sat in front of my tape player. Tells you how old I am. And, and all of a sudden he says, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2? Well, let's turn to Genesis 2 then, brethren. Let's turn to Genesis 2. That's where we're going to go. Because the commandment here in Exodus 20 actually points us back to it. It says, wait a minute, Genesis 2 is where this all begins. And within 15 minutes, I was convinced. I said, honey, you got to come out and hear this. This is amazing. This wasn't something Moses came up with. This wasn't something that was worked up among the people. Say, you know, we got to be different than those Egyptians we left behind. Let's get all the elders together and talk about what we can do different. No, it says God spoke these words and he spoke them to Moses and he said, remember Genesis? And Moses, of course, was the one who would write this down eventually. I don't know if he'd written this yet before he wrote the Ten Commandments, but, but he knew it. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. What's behind this command? The first thing that's behind it is a creation and ordinance, or that is the institution of the Sabbath at creation. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And on the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That is, he made it holy, he set it apart. Because on it, he rested from all his work, which God had created in making it. So the institution here, now again, going back to Exodus 20, it's connected by this word for, or because. You should keep these, this cycle of six and one because of what God did in Genesis 2, what's recorded in Genesis 2. There's the origin of the command. If we rightly understand this command, then we must understand something about Yahweh's creative work and his resting. The wording of the fourth command is derived from Genesis chapter 2. Whether we're talking about sanctified or we're talking about six days and one day, it's right there in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 support and shape, the, what God says here, support and shape the command that he gave to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Now, some of you know I've been, I have done a little bit of preaching in Genesis, and I, I'm a worldview teacher in Trinity Christian School, and, and so there's all kinds of things that I have I've tried to compress, right? But we got to really go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 to understand what we're coming to in Genesis chapter 2. Because in Genesis chapter 1, we have the fact that God is the ultimate determiner of all reality. He's the creator. Uh, he just thought, and this formless world came into being. He just determined, and it was there. Then he begins to speak, 
and order it. He created everything. He gives purpose to everything that he creates. And he creates it all for his own glory. When he looks at it and says it is good, it's because it reflects his character. And when he says it's very good, he's saying it's all in place now to reflect what I reflect my character in this created order. So God is the ultimate determiner of all reality. And that includes his creating time. He created these days. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and then day seven. Very interesting little side note here. Everything that we have in our time schedule is tied to something in our world order, right? So the one year, the the earth goes around the sun. One day, it pivots. One month is the moon basically going around the earth. All of these things are tied to our solar system in one way or another. But not the weekly Sabbath. The seven days doesn't fit anything in this natural order. But it does fit with our nature in this order. Because God had determined it. He ordered time. He created it. And then God exercised his rule over everything he created. He exercised it by making assessments. That's good. That's good. Oh, that's not good. It's not good that a man should be alone. And he did it also by naming things. Sun and moon. Man and wife. Man and woman. He did it also by uh, the authority of blessing creatures in form of commands. He blessed the animals. And there he commanded them with that blessing to be fruitful and multiply. And in that blessing, he actually then imparted something of an ability to fulfill all that they needed to be able to fulfill that command. When God made man the apex of his created order, his masterpiece in creation, he did something very unique. And here's why I want to pause just for a moment and just take some time. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He did it with a unique action. He took the dust and he breathed into it. He formed a body and then he breathed into it, the first man. And he took a rib from the man and made the woman and brought her to him. There's all this special intention, special action, special attention. Man is unique in all of creation, described as the imago dei, dei, excuse me, image of God. Image of God. That's what we are. And we still are, even though we're fallen. James chapter 3, Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 10, man made image of God. We are still image bearers. Every one of us, Christian or not, we are bearers of God's image. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that we bear God's likeness, we bear God's image, which means, in a sense, we're related to him. Look with me at Genesis chapter 5. This is important. I'm not just doing something because I like to talk about these kinds of things. This is very important to what I'm going to talk about here in just a minute about the Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. 
in the day when God created man and made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years and became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, he named him Seth. Now, as I've said, and again, in sermons, I said, if, if a young man were standing up here and his name were Andrew Carlson, you'd say, oh, that's Pastor Carlson's son. Because there's some likeness there. I was standing with a picture with my dad and my sister. And one of the ladies looked at it and said, oh, so now I know what Pastor Carlson's going to look like when he's old. And I know what he would look like if he were a woman. Because there's, this, there's a comparison, right? There's a likeness. We share in the likeness. And that's what, and that's what Adam and, and did. He shared in the likeness of God. And Seth, Adam's son, bore his likeness and his image. Now, in Luke chapter 3, in verse 38, this takes it one step further. In Luke 3, we go all the way through the genealogy, starting... Uh, with Jesus and working backwards all the way to God. And then we come to the end of that, and it says in verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam was the created son of God. And as an image bearer, he uniquely represented God in the world, whether it was accurate before the fall or an immoral caricature after the fall. He was still an image bearer from God. He was made in his likeness. He was, in that sense, God's son. And sons should imitate their fathers. They will imitate their fathers. And if your father is perfect, like God the father, then he should be imitated. Isn't that what God tells us in the Bible? Ephesians 5.1, children of God. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Ephesians 5.1. Matthew 5 and verse 48. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And there were several other verses I, I had in my notes, but I'll skip them. The fact of the matter is, there are many passages that talk about how we should imitate God. Why? Because he is our heavenly Father. He's our heavenly father. We're to bear his image. We are to be like him. Therefore, in addition to obeying God's explicit commands, it is man's duty to reflect God's character, God's image accurately and thereby glorify him. We are supposed to, by it is our duty to imitate God insofar as humans can imitate God insofar as he reflects and tells us about himself as a father. We are to imitate him. So now, go back with me to Genesis chapter 2. What did God do for six days? Well, he worked. What should you do for six days? You should work. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have a job that's 24 hours, six days a week, right? But it's, it's saying, okay, these six days are for my daily tasks, whether it's mowing my lawn or doing my taxes or, or going to the office or pushing my cart or hitting with my hammer, whatever it is, that's my duty, my responsibility. There's six days I am supposed to work. I'm supposed to labor. Just like my heavenly father did six days of creative labor. He, he, he worked 
For six 24-hour days, it says evening and morning, God labored to create the world. Now, the question isn't how could God have do so much in six days? I mean, how could he create the whole universe in six days? That's not the question we should ask. The question you need to ask is, why did he take six days? I mean, he just thought and it came into existence in verse one, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And then he just speaks and it starts coming into existence. Couldn't he have just snapped his finger, if it were, if he had a finger, and just said, it's all there? He could have, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? Well, because of a number of different reasons. Most importantly, because he was being an example to his, his son, who was supposed to subdue and rule over the earth, who was supposed to cultivate and keep it. This is what he was commanded to do. But then after six days, what did God do? He rested. He rested. Now, he didn't rest from all his work. He rested, as, a, as, this, as the verse says, he rested from his creative work. He was done with creating the world and getting it in place and in order. And he rested from that specific work because he continued to hold, uphold all things by the word of his power. And he continued to redeem people from their sins even after that. Right? So he continues to work. My father is working until now, Jesus says. John 5, 17. But as Waltke says in his commentary on Genesis, in the first six days, space is created and subdued. On the seventh, time is sanctified. God wanted to tell us something about time by his, by his example. So first of all, he rested to highlight the fact that his creative work was complete. Second, he rested to express delight in his work. To express delight in his work. And here's the, the verse here is Exodus 31, 17. Exodus 31, 17. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days, talking about the Sabbath, in six days, Yahweh made heavens and earth. And on the seventh day, he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now, wait a minute. I know what it means for me to be refreshed. What does it mean for God to be refreshed? God didn't have to go, oh, I'm exhausted after six days of creative labor. No, he's omnipotent. He has all the power in the world. We've never seen anything to display his omnipotence, just his power. He wasn't exhausted in the slightest. So what did he do? He rested to take, as it were, to take a breath and rejoice in what he had created. John Murray says this. This is expressly alluded to in Exodus 31, 17 in connection with God's Sabbath rest. It means, surely, the rest of satisfaction and delight in the completed work of creation. Or in the words of Joseph Piper, the refreshment of God on the seventh day was a refreshment of joy as he contemplated the beauty and the perfection of all that he had done. At, he, at the conclusion of the sixth day, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. On the seventh day, God surveyed his work and took great pleasure in what he had made. His was a rest of joy, a rest of contemplation." 
So he rested to show work is done. He rested to reflect for us and reflect upon the joy of what he had created. It was very good. But thirdly, and most importantly for us, he rested as our example. He rested as an example for his son. God pictured the activity of one who works and one who rests. And he expected his image bearer to do the same, to follow his example. We would say, like father, like son, is what he was expecting. God's additional actions establish the purpose and the benefit of the day. God sanctified the day and he blessed the day. Why did he set it apart? He didn't need it. He's outside of time, above time. He set it apart for us to draw near to him. He set it apart for man to come near to God. And he blessed it, just like he blessed Adam and Eve, that they might be fruitful and multiply, and blessed the animals, that they might be fruitful and multiply. He blessed this day, that is, he made it a day in which there would be great blessing to come to his people, to his sons, as they take time on this day to set apart and meet with God. He blessed it. He established its purpose and endowed it with the ability to fulfill that purpose. It was a blessed day, a day of rest. And as we'll see, I think a little bit later, it's a day of rest for physical rest. It's a day of rest for mental rest. It's a day of rest for spiritual rest above all. But then very quickly, Deuteronomy chapter 5, because there's something else. Not only is it rooted in the institution of the Sabbath at creation, but it's motivated by the deliverance of God's people from slavery. It's, it's to be motivated by the deliverance of God from slavery. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we read, Observe the Sabbath day, verse 12, and keep it holy as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male slave or your female slave, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who is within your gates, so that your male slave and your female slave may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, right, because of his deliverance in this mighty way, bringing him out of slavery, therefore Yahweh your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He did, he, he commands them because he delivered them. And it's to motivate them. They were slaves in Egypt. But the Lord delivered them. He did it powerfully. There's many places where it speaks of this. He did it out of love for them. Not because they were great. Not because they were better than any other nation. But because he set his love upon them. He did it to make himself known to them. He did it to make himself known as, the, as Yahweh. The God of the people of Israel. And he personally delivered them as a display of his power on their behalf. And he ties that then. This is what's to motivate you. I redeemed you. I delivered you. Therefore, you need a day set aside to me to rest from your labors and keep it holy, set it apart to be with me. 
His deliverance made them his special possession. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, highlight that. Or Isaiah 43, in verse 1, has a very simple statement. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I redeemed you. You're mine. And we've already seen he created them, so they're his. But it's like they're his again because he redeemed them. And therefore, he commands them to keep one day unto him. Isn't it interesting, this word serve that we talked about, this word uh, for slave, that uh, they were delivered from being slaves. Pharaoh was to let them go so that they could serve. They were serving Pharaoh as his slaves. But Pharaoh was to let them go, and the same word is used, that they might serve the Lord. They might be his slaves. Serve him in worshiping him and living for him and clinging to him. This great redemption is to act as a motivation for observing the Sabbath. Remember how I delivered you from your harsh taskmaster to serve me. And it's always saying to them, but my yoke is easy. I want one day in seven. And it's always saying to them, you have been bought with a price, the death of all of the Egyptian firstborn. Therefore, glorify me with your time. So in application, what have we seen? We've seen the essence of the command. Remember, observe a day of rest, one day in seven, everybody under your authority within your house, in order that you might be set apart from common use, for special use. And this is rooted in creation, not just in Sinai. And it's motivated by, by being delivered by God. So therefore, let's remember where this command is found. It's found as one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments. They were the ones spoken by God from Mount Sinai with all the pyrotechnics and all of the earthquakes and all of the noise. It says it was all done, to, and they feared, but he spoke it to everyone. The whole nation heard it from God's own mouth, if you will. And then it was written by the finger of God on two tablets, these ten words written on two stone tablets. And those stone tablets, the second set, were put inside the ark. All the rest of the commands in the book of Exodus and Numbers, all the rest of them were put into the book of the law, not on the commandments. And they were put next to the ark. There was a clear distinction being made between these ten. Now, let's just think about this. This is, this is like these, are, these ten commands are not just ten independent, randomly thought of ideas. Let's kind of throw them together. They're interlocking relationship to God, relationship to man, and how they should live together in communion with God to enjoy blessings from God. And just the first four, for instance. The first one tells us who to worship. Yahweh alone. The second one tells us what should we should do when we worship. Only those things which God requires. The third one is the, the disposition with which we should worship, in sincerity, with reverence and awe. The fourth command is, when should we worship? 
You see how they all fit together. Well, what am I supposed to do this, God? You keep telling me, well, you can do it. Well, I'm supposed to do it as a company. Well, just all decide. No, God didn't say, well, you just all decide when you want to meet. God said, no, 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 I'll tell you what day to meet. And it happened to be, at that time, the seventh day. But God determined that was the day. It was right part of these ten. This is a summary of God's universal moral law. Listen to B.B. Warfield. I'm just going to take one quote regarding this matter. And thank you for, for persevering here. We're almost done. Warfield said this. It is simply unimaginable that God would have allowed that any precept of his fundamental proclamation of essential morality could pass into disuse. He says it's just unimaginable that God would give ten words and say, you know what, we'll just let one or two of those kind of slip. Adultery? Oh, no, no, no. Telling the truth? No, no. Why would he let this one slip then? Why let number four off and out? It was specifically stated in a context that said these things are universal morality. And it's rooted in creation. Just like adultery, rooted in creation with the ordinance of marriage. It's rooted in creation. It was given to man. You've got the big quote there. I'll just leave you to read that by Terry Johnson, a helpful little book. And he addresses the matter that every one of the commands were given for our good, not for our burden. But then the second thing we need to remember, this commandment is tied to the action of God in creation. Sabbath observance, one in seven, was given to man, sinless Adam, God's royal created son, head of mankind, needed a day of rest. He needed a holy day to set apart for, to God. Sinless man needed time to worship and contemplate God in the midst of all of his farming activities. Sinless man needed a day to be refreshed. Sinless man needed a day to be blessed by God. How do I know that? Because Genesis 2 tells me that. And that's where Sabbath begins. And he was the head of the human race. And everything, in that sense, besides the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to follow through to govern our lives. Do you think that we now in this cursed world with weeds and thorns and thistles that plague us at every turn, do you think we have less need for a day of rest? Doesn't make any sense. So I ask you, are you a child of God? Are you imitating your father? Your father worked six days and rested one. How about you? Or are we working seven days? Or are we letting slip this reality? When we come to the Lord's day, when we come to the Sabbath day, and I'll come to the Lord's day here in a little bit, but when we come to the Sabbath day, we need to remember creation. That's what it says. It's to remember the good God who created all things and made him perfectly in order. It's to meditate upon his wisdom and power in ordering all things and in including time. It's to contemplate his goodness in the order, beauty, variety, richness, and benefit of the world. And it's to acknowledge God's authority. The Sabbath day is designed for us to meditate upon God.
contemplate God. And part of that is to acknowledge his authority over my time. My friend, your boss does not have the final say about your time. God does. And God has said six days and one. And it's a day in which we are to remember redemption. They were to remember what it was like to be slaves and to be set free. This is the old covenant. I'm just setting the stage for what I'm going to say later because it's all there in the New Testament as well. But J.I. Packer sums it up well when he says, freedom from secular chores secures freedom to serve the Lord on his own day. The Sabbath was made a day of holy rest so that it might be a day of holy work. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Please help us to grasp these realities and wrestle with them and find that blessedness that you promise on your day. We ask that you would hear us and be with us even as we converse for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.